Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Big Ticket Variety and iHeart's weekly podcast. I'm your host, Mark Malkin. On today's show, I've got Sandra Oh. The Emmy-nominated and Golden Globe winner is here to talk about the new season of Killing Eve, how she's keeping herself sane during quarantine, and what's ahead for her once the world reopens. I'm going to have O later in the show, but first, Wagner Mora. You know him for his portrayal of Pablo Escobar in the Netflix series Narcos. But now he's back on the streamer in a new biopic about late Brazilian diplomat Sergio de Mello and his work with the United Nations, as well as his love affair with a UN economist, played by Ana de Armas, before he was killed in the Canal Hotel bombing in Baghdad in 2003. I'll be right back with Wagner Mora after the break. Welcome back to The Big Ticket. Here's Sergio star Wagner Mora. How are you? I'm fine, man. I'm, it's a, a strange moment, but I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm, yeah. Personally, I'm very well. I'm, you know, I'm here with my family, but of course, very concerned about everything. How are you dealing with the uh, quarantine and staying home and not doing much? Ups and downs. Ups yeah. and downs, you know, like everybody else, I think, you know, there are days that I'm like more sad or, but honestly, but, but I'm usually in a very good mood and uh, um, I'm very, I'm just very, very concerned about uh, with Brazil and with, you know, the countries that have the, uh, doesn't have strong um, um, ways to, to, you know, more vulnerable, more poorest mm -hmm. countries, you know, that's a, a, Brazil's, a, 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 I mean, of course I talk about Brazil because I'm Brazilian, I'm in touch with my friends in there, but uh, especially a country uh, uh, with, uh, with a president like that, you know, which makes it doesn't it doesn't help. He makes things become worse, which is uh, incredibly crazy. How do you do? You stay hopeful. Are you hopeful that things will change in Brazil? I'm very optimistic with the. Uh, I'm very pessimistic with the present, but very optimistic with the future. Which is uh, what, keeps you, what keeps you optimistic. <laughs> Uh, the, 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 I'm, I'm optimistic because I think this, uh, let's talk before coronavirus thing. I think this is a, politically, I think there are, um, waves, you know, I think that Bolsonaro is, uh, is a backlash of all the, of, of the moment that we lived in Brazil in the past, uh, in the last 12 years of, uh, of, of, of very progressive uh, 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 governments, as I think that Trump is a backlash of Obama's uh, uh, moment as well. And, and I think this is going to turn again uh, at some point uh, uh, into a more uh, liberal. And, and of course, the virus is, uh, is, uh, is, 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 is exposing how, uh, how weak are most of the world leaders nowadays, you know, and uh, uh, so I, I think that it, the, the, the whole history is made of this diff, of these movements of these waves uh, that 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 makes things change uh, from time to time. But for sure, this the pandemic is going to change uh, everything in a way that we are about to discover we, that we don't know yet. I think that capitalism itself is in a is in a position that people have to to rethink you know if this is something that that is really working 
or or not. I'm not even saying that the world is going to go towards a, uh, a social socialist. Uh, it's going towards a post a post capitalism that we don't know yet what it is, yeah. because it's proven for me that this is not uh, working. Or a, a system cannot only work in between crises. So let's talk about Sergio. Great film. I'll admit, didn't know much about him. I kind of remember the attack, not that much. So tell me how you got involved. Um, what is you know? Tell us who Sergio is. Let's start with that. This yeah, this film I I was uh, it, it's part of a of a more sort of a more ambitious and, and, and kind of a political project that I have, which is uh, to produce films here in the U.S. about Latin people that don't um, reinforce uh, stereotypes. And I, and and I in surgery was I was always since I was a kid I was very always very fascinated by the UN, by the United Nations. What that is, you know, what this uh, it, it ultimately is a human rights uh, uh, organization, you know. But it's so weak when when you know in, in, when it ha when we need when you need the UN like in a stronger uh, way. It's so weak. When it, it when it, when it receives pressure, especially from the U.S. or from other powerful players, but then Sergio was killed in 2003. It was the first time that the U.N. was a central uh, target of uh, of terrorism, and he was killed in Iraq after the invasion. And the U.N. was against the invasion. The U.N. didn't want to be there. Sergio personally didn't want to be there for personal reasons as well, for political reasons and for, for personal reasons that we can discuss later. But, you know, uh, I, I, I thought that his, uh, his, um, his life, his, uh, his legacy, his example of being a man, uh, first of all, a Brazilian man uh, that comes from my country a place that that really lacks uh uh examples like 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 him right now and uh uh so it it, it fit in the in this project uh, uh that i that i have and and also i thought that it's um his life had so many because he was a man who was samantha power's books called the man who was who, who say who, who tried to save the world so sergio was a man who was Constantly, you know, he was considered a mix of James Bond and Bob Kennedy, uh, uh, considered the world's Mr. Fix-It, the guy who was, you know, you know, handsome dude who was there, charismatic, you know, very smart. He was, uh, he was, Sergio was uh, uh, received from the Sorbonne, the highest educational degree that they can give to someone. Who, so he was an intellectual, but he, at the same time, he was formed in the, in the, in the refugees camps. Of, of the of the United Nations Agency for for refugees, so he had very unique he had very unique qualities. But for me, what the what this film is about, and the and, and the quality that Sergio had, that you know was above anything else, was empathy, which is something that that's sort of the reason the main reason which I wanted to make this film. And when we see uh, in this pandemic. Uh, uh, um, how this value is uh, is lacking, you know, in, in especially in the in, in the leaders of the world. It's the Sergio was someone who could see people, not not as uh, statistics or as numbers or as, he he could see people as people. He could look at George W. Bush as a human being, and he could look at the janitor of his office as, in the same way. How much did you know about him before going into the project? Was, was it more just really watching things on the news or did you, you know, is this someone that, you know, you really followed? I, I really follow him, especially, especially after his death. When he was killed in, 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 I knew who he was, but when he was killed in, in 2003, that had a huge impact on me. I mean, the, the, Especially the way it happened, how um, the the way the rescue and you know the fact that the UN was there and they didn't want to be there and the invasion and everything seemed so tragic, you know, for for an actor's point of view, 
that was uh, there was uh, also the uh, of course the my interest in in who Sergio was and but I think everything was so tragic and when I watched uh, Greg Barker's uh, documentary about Sergio, I was convinced that uh, we had all the elements for for a feature film because not not always the life of someone that you would admire and you think it it's an important person not always that that life is gonna make it into an interesting film mm-hmm. you know and i think that sergio's life was full of full of contradictions because he was at the same time he was this world's mr fix it but at the same time he had a very chaotic uh personal life he didn't uh he couldn't organize his own um uh issues as mm. as a man and as a father and as a husband and as so that was a very interesting thing for me in terms of character so you so i have to admit when i started watching the film with my husband because we were big narcos fans i was like wait a minute how is that the guy wait pablo escobar yeah. and at one point in um yeah. sergio you take your shirt off and i'm like he's so skinny <laughs> you put on what forty pounds but, for Pablo? I was, you know, before before doing Pablo, uh, uh, I that was sort of what how I looked. <laughs> I, I had to gain a lot of weight uh, to to play to play to play Pablo Escobar. But Sergio was a guy who was always very concerned with his. Uh, he exercised all the time. He was. Uh, uh, so he was a handsome dude. He had to, you know, he he he, he had a very, uh, he was very, always very, uh, wherever he was, even he, if he was like in East Timor, or he was, he ran, every, he was jogging every day. So how did you gain the weight and then how did you lose it? Gain is super, is very easy. <laughs> and much more fun. <laughs> and much more fun. You know, I, I'm I'm seeing my kids playing here, and I was I remember that when I, when I was uh, uh, started working on Pablo, I was hanging out with them and eating whatever they were having, you know, pizzas <laughs> and burgers and fun. But at, there was a point when when that started to make me feel really bad uh, uh, mm. uh, because that wasn't my body, right? It was you know it was, and I was just eating junk food and junk. Junk food, yeah, and 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 that was really bad for me. That was really, I I, I don't know if I would do that again. Mm. And then how'd you end up losing it? How long did it take to lose? I've I've immediately. It was like when I when I wrapped Narcos, I wanted to I wanted to get rid of not only the the weight itself, but I wanted to get rid of the energy of of the, that character. So I started. I I I. Uh, I, I I made this uh, vegan. Uh, I started to eat vegan for till today. I I don't eat meat nor chicken after wow. uh, and that was after after Narcos um, and exercise in boxing and uh, jujitsu, which is something that I I kind of the only sport that I really like and and, and do. Now I'm going to take a short break, but when we return, Mora reveals what happened when he reached out to DeMello's family. Plus, he recalls meeting Ana de Armas for the first time. And then later, my second guest on this week's Big Ticket, Sandra Oh. We'll be right back. Lancaster, South Carolina is in the middle of not much. But growing up nearby, I knew it as the hometown of a black man named Jim Duncan, who became a Super Bowl hero. Duncan, up to the 15. Now my new podcast, Return Man, I'll discover that his death still makes no sense at all. The story was that my brother went into the police station, took a gun off a police officer, and shot himself in the head. Most people don't believe that. For the past three years at the Rock Hill Herald, I've looked back at a story that's timelier than ever. Have you got some time to talk? It involves race, the mental state of the person, and a town that was scared to death to say anything. Listen to Return Man on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you took away the date and time, could you imagine that happening today? Yes, you can. 
Welcome back to The Big Ticket. Here's more of Wagner Mora. You're also a producer on Sergio. Tell me a little bit more yeah. about what you said. You said, you know, you want to see more um, Latin people portrayed in ways that aren't stereotypical. We are, sub we are the most sub-represented group, uh, ethnical group in, in, in Hollywood. Uh, uh, not only regarding, not only regarding to the amount of characters that Latin actors play, but especially the way they are seen. Uh, uh, it's the stereotypes are very, uh, and and this is coming from a guy who played Pablo Escobar. It's all, it's like <laughs> always the. Uh, the violent lat Latino or, or the sexy Latina or the, or everything is related to, or either crime or, and I think uh, uh, it's, it, it doesn't represent what this group really is in the, in the American uh, society. You know, when I, when I saw, for example, and I think this is changing when I saw Diego Luna playing uh, uh, in that Star Wars film, you know, Rogue One, doing that character with his Mexican accent, and I think I thought that yeah, that that's that pretty much uh, uh, what this uh, what this should be, you know, uh, uh, different. Uh, uh, we could we could we could we can play you know the, the Star Wars dude or a, you know, doctors, engineers, or no, it doesn't have to be related to the issues that we know our, uh, uh, that Latin America has, you know, which, which are poverty, violence. Uh, we all, we, we, all that is true and all that is part of, uh, of, of issues that, that this part of the world has, but not necessarily all the characters portrayed in 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 and this is not only be, this is not only a political issue it's it's based on the reality you know it's not it's not a a, um, a truthful representation in addition to star wars having diego luna there have there been other depict recent depictions lately that you were just blown away by saying i can't Listen, believe uh, they did that my my uh, uh, Ana de Armas, who plays uh, uh, Carolina in Sergio, is a is a rising star in Hollywood, and she's just played Marilyn Monroe in a in a in a film, which is the, the biggest American icon <laughs> ever. You know, it's, it was played by a Cuban actress. You know, it, it is changing. It is a. a, a so tell me about working with Ana de Armas. I mean, this is before Knives Out, before Hollywood yeah. discovered her. Um, yeah. You have chemistry, obviously. Um, tell me about what it was like on set with her. It was great. She's really great. Like, first time I met her, uh, we are uh, we had a lunch here in a, in a restaurant here in a, in a, in in, um, in Westwood. That was editing my film, the film that I directed, and she showed up so we could you know uh, meet up before the shootings in a. a and I had an, an immediate connection with her. She was, she's a very grounded uh, woman, very, um, all these things that we are discussing here, it, 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 all this matters a lot to her, uh, representation and, 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 uh, uh, and, and she, and she's an awesome actress. You know? She's a very, very, very good actress. And I was very pleased to be uh, working with her uh, in surgery. Also, she's very fun to hang out with. She's a she's a great um, a great person to be to have around. And how much how much um, contact did you have with real friends and family of Sergio to get prepared for the role? No, as as a producer, I thought that ethically, I had to uh, uh, to reach out to them before starting the project. I wanted them to know that I was going to uh, make a film about, about Sergio. So I reached out to his sons and to his uh, ex-wife in, in, in Geneva. And also I reached out to Carolina Larriera in, in, in Rio, sent emails to both of them. Both of them responded very uh, skeptically because they are, they are, there is a, there is a, um, there is a, a dispute of a fight of narratives in, in, in towards Sergio's uh, uh, life. 
right? So and and Carolina in one side and the sons and uh, in, in the other side. And I didn't want to be. I didn't want my my our view, which is what matters in the end, how we see the story, to be um, contaminated by either uh, side. We had to look at Sergio mm. the way we we believed was so we had samantha power we had Greg, we had you know and we believed what we were that we were uh this the kind the surgery that we wanted to portray regardless of interferences you know comprehensive interference because you know i know they they wanted to control the narrative over you know an important an important person for them it's completely understandable wagner thank you so much this was awesome Take care, man. Take care of yourself. That was Wagner Mora. Sergio streams on Netflix tomorrow, April 17th. Coming up after the break, you don't want to miss it. Sandra Oh, the Killing Eve star, gets candid about life during COVID-19 and what she was getting ready to do before the world shut down. I'll be right back with O after the break. Welcome back to The Big Ticket. Here's Sandra Oh. How are you? How are we all doing? It's just yeah. unreal. It's, yeah, it's unreal. Like, uh, are you here? You're here in LA, yeah? Yeah, I'm in LA. I was looking yeah. outside. It's raining, and in, and usually, I gotta tell you, we'd be so happy for the rain. It's like, oh, so much rain this deep into the season. <laughs> No, with with <laughs> coronavirus and rain, I'm thinking there are going to be zombies. And <laughs> <laughs> I know it's like uh, it's like, uh, but I'm like so happy to kind of like connect with you. It's like I'm just making a little bit of tea. Go ahead. <laughs> so, how are you coping? What are you doing in quarantine? Well. I have my apron on, uh, which I feel like I could take off right now. Um, I'm uh, oh, off comes the linen apron. Um, I'm uh, I'm uh, I'm cooking a lot. Actually, yeah. I, honestly, it's like I really I think probably with a lot of people, I am uh, you know connecting with people a, a lot. Uh, you know, Zoom and FaceTiming people. I'm trying to do exercise classes. Um, I'm really trying to do one thing a day. It's just try and do it because it's really immediately you're the amount that you're sitting now, even though, you know, we live in Los Angeles and we do drive a lot. The amount that you're sitting now has just, just increased enormously exponentially. Um, And then, uh, you know, I, for, you know, uh, my own practice, you know, I have a, uh, a meditation practice, and I find that has been a, a, a real anchor for me during this time to manage a lot of the uh, interior landscape that is going yeah. on. You know, and it's a it's a you know a very private thing, but I, I and I will say it's like it's a real it's a real lifeline to me. You know, Can it's I like ask you how, how you're been... yeah Can doing you how... how you're doing inside and. How yeah. you're doing outside and can I ask you how long you've been meditating? Uh for over a decade. I'd wow. say since um gosh. I I feel it coincided a, a lot with actually the start of Grace. So that's a 2005. Mm. So around right around there-ish, I'd say. Wow. I'll do it and then I'm like, Mark. You just, I can never get my brain to shut up, which is the whole point of meditation is to get your brain to shut up. So, you know. No, you want to know, I I will, I'll, I'll I'll take uh, issue with that. It's actually not to get your brain to shut up is, Mm. is to actually just be with it. Right. It's not easier, baby. It is so not easier. (laughs) It's like, it's like every, every single time I feel like I'm on my cushion and it's like, you're in the, you're in the ring, you're on the mat with your own mind. Um, but I have like, for me, realized that I need to sit much longer for it to actually chill, chill the noise out a little bit, right. you know, just to right. kind of have, uh, to be able to, you know, be really present to even like settle your, settle your, your settle yourself down. Yeah. And I saw you did the Olivia Wilde um, video and you talked oh, about- Oh, I'm so glad that just came out. Yeah. 
You have a brother-in-law who's an ER doctor in New York City, huh? Yeah, you know, um, yeah, I have, I have family members who are in the field, you know, um, my brother, my, my sister-in-law, they're both. Did I just say signed. New York City? I meant Vancouver, right? It Vancouver, Vancouver, yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah, my brother, my sister-in-law, they're, they're, um, they're uh, research scientists, so they work in labs and, you know, um, and, you know, my brother-in-law is an ER doc and it's really intense, you know, I mean, if, if 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 one is 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 blessed to have you know a doctor in the family, <laughs> um, it's always a blessing because you're always texting them with a weird weird, weird request. It's like, will you take please take a look at this rash? Please take a look at this rash. Is it okay? Um, and on on other circumstances, like the most important ones, like this is the entire reason really why you are a doctor. Sorry, I don't know how to shut that thing off. Um, and uh, uh, and it becomes really, really serious. You know, it becomes really, really serious, and it becomes you, you, you come to like the questions of what do you do, how do you want to be, who do you want to be, and you know, when I was talking to my brother-in-law Scott, he was just like in the, from the most noble place of why you hopefully go into the profession, which is to care for people. No matter what. It's, yes, no matter what, it is service, no matter what, you know? And it is, as we are seeing, the noblest of professions. Our healthcare workers, our nurses, our teachers, everyone is, you know, bound, anyone who has, you know, children, uh, in any form, whether they're in, um, you, you know, university or like, you know, my brother who has like a two-year-old and a four-year-old, man. <laughs> it's like everyone is bowing down to uh, teachers as well to see, you know, it's just a time to reevaluate. So sorry. Reevaluate like what is important. Right. And I just hope after all of this is hopefully over at one point, mm -hmm. we don't forget about those teachers and those EMT no, workers. absolutely not. And that's what, that's what makes me sad because I think we just have these really short memories. Well, well, it will be, it, it will be, you know, again, it's like, how do we want to be? You know, how, how, how is this time going to affect us all? How is it going to, it's, it's how, are, are, the, the, you know, it's, it's only been, let's say, a couple months. You know, let's say in the United States, in North America, we have no idea how this is going to play out. We don't know how long. And so with that, we have no idea how we are as a society and as individuals going to be affected and then choose how to behave from that effect, you know? It's like, I, I think we've all not only are aware of the service that, we all depend on, but, uh, you, you know, you can you ultimately choose to like, uh, pay attention to that or not. I mean, like, I mean, not to get into it too much because I do want to talk about the show too, but it's like, we will, we will, it's, I promise. It, it, because it's also like, you know, different ways of service. Of course. You know what I mean? And, 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 uh, you know, Western thought is much more individualistic you know, mm -hmm. and there's wonderful things to that and powerful things to that. And also it's time to see us more as a connective whole, mm. you know, and even us, you know, chatting, you know, we're doing our, our part in that as well. You'll hear my dogs. <laughs> yes. See, I love that. It's like, a li hello life. No, it's when the landline, this, every once in a while someone calls the landline and that's their reaction when the phone rings. <laughs> like It's wild. Daddy, what is this landline? <laughs> I can't understand it. <laughs> they think it's a dog whistle. Um, <laughs> let me ask you, were you in production on anything when uh, the world had to shut down? What were you doing? Yeah, you know, I feel like that, that Friday the 13th is kind of like when Hollywood went down. And so, mm -hmm. yeah, I, I, this was going to be like a, a tremendously busy year for me. Mm. I was going to go up. I, ha I was just ready to go up to Vancouver to shoot um, 
a horror film. <laughs> yes, a horror film. Yeah, uh, in the you know, in the in the in the wilds of 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 uh, North Vancouver, I guess. Um, uh, and it, it, a film that will hopefully continue its life after COVID. We'll get around wow. to shooting it. Called Amma, U M M A, which means mother in Korean. And um, so we, I was about to go. You know, it's like, and it's also like this. Like when you prepare for a project, I, in my mind, I equate it to like you're getting ready for the Olympics. Mm-hmm. You spend all your time getting completely focused you're physically ready you're emotionally ready you know you're just getting all your um all your training is in your body and you're just ready to go you want to get up there get into your 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 new flat get everything ready and then start shooting go 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 and then it's just to a screeching halt and you know to to the art the other projects it's like you know uh, you know, I have this project with Amanda Pete um, called The Chair. The chair yeah. And, um, you know, hopefully, I, we don't know. We were scheduled to shoot that in the summertime and then in the fall go back to Killing Eve. And I just think it's a very, a very, very interesting time for um, our profession uh, because it's, comp- it's so, and like everything else, is connected to so many things. I, do, I just don't know. I, 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 I don't know. And, and uh, you know, hopefully those projects will all, I'll be able to shoot them all again whenever we start up. And what have you, what have you thought about when you're here? <laughs> yeah. People in higher office saying the China virus. Well, how do you even react? Oh, to it's that? no, it's, 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 uh, you know, I mean, that's, that's a, that's in some ways a, a bigger question and a, a bigger conversation because um, you don't have to look too far in any kind of way to see this president and the administration uh, promoting racism in their in their policies and in the choices of words and something like calling the virus uh, you know China virus and, and not taking any kind of responsibility of seeing what that xenophobia and that hatred. Uh, provokes in a people um, is uh, is just completely reprehensible, you know. I, and I also think, and you know, really feel that people know and understand what a global crisis this is, and there is no time and no place for racism. We don't have time for it. Well, we do have plenty of time right now to be watching Killing Eve. Yeah! <laughs> Time for killing Eve. Yes. <laughs> right now, we're going to have to take another short break. But when we return, always in on Tiger King and how she's trying to keep her parents safe during the coronavirus pandemic. Stick around. Okay, let's go. So we're supposed to be sticking to the script. But we ain't. Because <laughs> that's just not what we do. It's your girl, Tam Bam, y'all. And it's AJ Hey. And we're giving a whole bunch of good, bad advice. And a lot of bad, great <laughs> advice. <laughs> we're trying to teach you how to say when, how, and how much, y'all. Uh-huh. Yes, sir. Now, that doesn't always have to apply to your sex life, ladies. It can absolutely apply to your career. Unless your sex life is your career, then it's interchangeable. <laughs> We're talking about a whole lot of sex. I love the sex. Hey, and a bunch of money. Love the money and relationships. Yeah, We're going to work on that. <laughs> so listen to our new show, We Talk Back, every Thursday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to The Big Ticket. Here's more of Sandra O. Oh. Okay, could we just talk about Villanelle not making sure that Eve was dead? See, okay. I can't wait for people to talk about that because I have my own theory, you know what I mean, which might not be in line with the writers or even Jody because I don't really know what Jody felt like. It's like, you know, I think that because I was just like, uh-uh, uh-uh. For me... And that's also like I find very, very interesting that you can kind of go down different rabbit holes. I mean, I, I, I will spill the beans on what I thought. So what I thought is like, she knows. 
She's, no, she's too good at her job. She knows. She, she can't totally do it. Um, but that's just me. I think, I think Julie, that's a good thing. I didn't right. think about that. I, because it's like, I'm so hurt. I'm so angry. I'm going to come. I'm going to, I'm going to like, even in some ways, uh, leave it to chance. Right. Uh, she's going to leave it to chance because she walks away. So you, mm. so there, she does leave it for, uh, uh, an opening of a, of a possibility because, you know, she doesn't wait around to see uh, whether Eve is really dead or not. So, well, but then the part of me, and you know this, it's like Villanelle. She's awful, right? Because uh-huh. she kills people <laughs> the way she does. Yeah. But I was like, how could she be so stupid? Mm-hmm. Like I'm cheering her on <laughs> for mm-hmm. not doing a good job. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> because that's what you really want. Because we know. That, and that's that, that's the interesting thing. Even let's say in the first season when they're on the bed, um, and Eve, you know, pulls out a knife and to her own surprise, plunges it into her her, her gut. Um, Villanelle at all times can overpower physically. Mm-hmm. You know, physically can overpower Eve. But what grows and grows is 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 Eve's um, influence on Villanelle's um, psyche, which is like she won't, even though she can, mm-hmm. you know. And and I think I think everyone understands power dynamics between people in relationships of even having power over someone or feeling that someone has power over you, and it might not be anything physical at all. Right. You know, and or, or the times where you think that you are putting up a barrier, let's say, with someone else, but later on you realize, oh, I left a door open for them to come back in. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, <laughs> uh, yes, exactly. I think everyone really kind of understands that. So even though Villanelle, you know, I think she does and, and believes, you know, you'll see deeper into the season that she's happy it's not true. She's happy she made a mistake. Then we see her and Felix as those clowns. Was Mm -hmm. this killing Eve's ode to the Joker? Oh, I don't think so. (laughs) I don't think so. I think that would definitely be a conversation to have with Suzanne Heathcote, the head writer, but I don't think so. I think it was really like, one, you know, to put Villanelle in, in, in an outrageous situation and then the you know the horror that can happen and and no one likes clowns really no one really likes clowns <laughs> but by the way when i was younger and like i couldn't sleep at night because i was having like bad thoughts and i'd say to my dad i can't sleep i'm thinking like dogs getting hurt he'd say think of clowns i'm like now they're getting beheaded <laughs> like <laughs> wrong direction wrong direction <laughs> Do you think in any kind of universe, Eve and Villanelle could actually have a happy life together? No. No, and I think that's what makes great drama. And I think that's what makes great romance. You, you know, it's, it's, it, it's the yearning that makes... Uh, that it, it's the yearning that brings people in, you know, is that storytelling, uh, uh, the dramatic storytelling that's based on desire and yearning, you know, and there's a, so much desire and yearning that each of these women have in some ways, not, not only for each other, you know what I mean? It's something within themselves. Uh, and I think in this season, their relationship with their, not only life, but work. It's like, I want, I want more, or I want something different, or this life that I know, uh, I, I want to get away from it, or like, what is the 12? What is this? I, I, it's enough. Because we will see at the beginning of season three, you know, Eve is in a deep type of retreat. 
you know, (laughs) you see her in a completely different location. You see her doing simple tasks, almost hiding, trying to be anonymous. Um, And, and that's like her, that's like her really exercising her power of no. Mm. You see her saying no to a few people at the, in the very first couple of episodes. And, you know, uh, you know, not to give too much away, but you see the way that she says no to uh, Carolyn. And you see, even see the way that she says no to Kenny, who she is very, very close to, um, you know, and the way that she's saying no to life in and some ways. Rest of, and remember the, the restaurant owner too, when she said you should be in the front of the house. Yeah, yes, no. the restaurant owner. And it's like, no. And, and I don't think that she's saying no to life as in a life force, but she's saying no to saying, no, it's, it's my choice. I want to be, I want to be in the back of the kitchen making dumplings. You know, I want, I want that. That's what is right for me right now. And then of course you have a catalyst that pushes her back into the hunt of things. So, so tell us about Suzanne show running the third season. You know, Suzanne has a a background in playwriting and has written plays about, you know, deep dysfunctional family (laughs) family dynamics. And I think that she's really, really put that skill into this third season because the season itself, you know, the nature of the characters have to change. They, you know, for definitely for Eve, she is in a darker place. and um, and she's in a dark, darker place, and that puts her in a different dramatic place. Mm. You, you you know what I mean? So so you know you don't really have the lightness, let's say, uh, uh, or the naivete that you saw at the beginning of the show. Right. She has gone through trauma. Mm. You know. So. Do you, have, do you have any idea how many seasons it'll go for? Not so far. I'm just glad that there is a, a fourth. You know, I, I don't know when we're going to get back. I don't know how it's going to open up. You know, we, you know, having conversations with our, our, our new head writer, Laura. Laura was on our, our team this year. and She actually wrote episode three. Um, but like encouraging her to not limit herself in any way because our show is an international show. Right. You know what I mean? So it's not like, and it's not like we can shoot everything, you know, you can't chase the future. Mm. You don't know what it's going to be. So I, you know, we would have conversations, set it where you envision it and mm. we will shoot it there. Or if we have to pivot, you know, she has to have enough time to readjust because the locations mean something. That's what I, I feel and what I really want is each location really means something and has a, a character and is, is, is a part of the storytelling. That's what I would like it to have. So, so to continue that creative freedom of however the show is going to continue, that it, it, that it remains an international show and continues that, that type of template. Do you ever get to a point in the script where you're like, okay, this killing... How did you even think about doing it this way? Like, mm-hmm. how many killings could they up themselves? Mm-hmm. In the saffron, the woman mm-hmm. in the in the spice shop, mm-hmm. and she's taking the saffron, and then they pull out, and the mouth is open. It's almost mm-hmm. like um, like Pompeii, and they were Mm-mm. frozen in like that volcano. Volcano, I guess it is. Oh yeah, like, you know what I mean. Uh, do you ever look going? Who thought of this? You people are sick. <laughs> you know, you always celebrate <laughs> the kills that you would never think up. You always celebrate the imaginative kills, honestly. It's like, and that's really, you know, Villanelle's domain. Um, and it's also like, you know, a, a terrific, delicious part of the show where you can see, you know, the expression of honestly, all our writers, <laughs> what goes on in our writer's mind, and that, that is then performed and executed by Villanelle. So it's always honestly a treat to go, not so much the, the sicker, 
but like the more inventive is the more that's delicious. That's called sicker. That's yeah, called they, okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> the more delicious the kill. And You're trying to be euphemism for really killing. <laughs> um, just a couple more questions for you and I'll let you go. Um, what is the first audition you ever went on, whether you got the part or not? I really remember it. Hold on a second. Go ahead. I think I was around 14 or 15. I was in a, a student theater company uh, called Skit Raw High. The, you know, um, uh, theater games and improv theater, really, really, really big in Canada. Really, really big in Canada. And I was really into the scene all throughout high school. So um, after my very first year of high school, which we call grade nine, <laughs> uh, ninth grade, um, uh, I joined a student company, and from then I got a, a, a local agent, and I and I got a local agent because one of the girls in the theater troupe, she was doing on-screen acting, and her agent said, "Oh, do you know any young Asian actresses?" Because my friend was up for a part in, in honestly, it was a, I, I'm pretty sure it was a government, a, a student government thing, like an anti-drinking and driving little short film PSA thing, whatever. A P, yes, exactly. Sorry, a PSA. Yeah. And so I think it was her name was Stephanie. Stephanie then asked me, she goes, hey, there's this part for something. I have an agent. Do you want to go and audition for it? And I said, yeah, sure. And it was, it was, an, it was basically a, a PSA film for like, don't kids don't drink and drive. And it was like a mock trial where kids were pretending to be lawyers, but one of the kids actually had been drinking and driving anyway. But I was, I think I was about 14, 15 when I did that. And uh, I got the part. You got the part. Oh yeah. Were you, the, were you the kid who was drinking? No, 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 no. I was, uh, I was, I guess I played the lawyer who kept on grilling, grilling the guy. And what's the one TV series you could watch over and over again and you never get bored? What's the TV series that I am? Well, I will say uh, over and over again. I realize I haven't really watched TV series over and over again, but I will say right now, uh, I know a lot of people are very envious of me because I have never, I had never seen Breaking Bad. So now I am going through Breaking Bad and I'm on season two and it is and I, now I just understand it. So I don't know whether I would come and, and watch it over and over again because it's quite an intense show. But there are times where I will be uh, rewinding uh, Brian Cranston's performance. He's just like yes. a miracle, just a miracle to watch. It's like it's like masterclass all the way. But have I, watched, I have been enjoying that. Have you watched Tiger King? Oh come on, baby, who hasn't? I have talked about that show with friends in Zoom, all the Zoom cocktails. It's like. It's like, how scary is this person? You know, and, and, and all from a psychological perspective and honestly an acting perspective because you're, it's, they're uh, brilliant character studies. It's like when the ego hijacks everything and reactivity hijacks everything and, um, and also uh, uh, the narcissistic need and desire uh, to be at the forefront. I mean, it's a, it's an amazing study on how to be a cult leader. Oh yeah. Cause, cause each of them are. And I, in, I interviewed the husband, Dylan. Go on to variety, go on to variety. You can watch it. I FaceTime with him. <laughs> you know, I, I, I find it interesting. How much do you dip in with the characters or the people that I shouldn't say characters, people right. themselves who understand the level of awareness that there is even in the psychological play that's happening. Right. 
Do you think Carol killed her first husband? Oh, I'm not going to comment on that. Oh, I'm not going to comment on that. You'll save that uh -huh. for your Zoom cocktails with your friends. My Zoom cocktail hour. <laughs> Zoom cocktail hour. Other than, you know, it's a... <laughs> It's just a, it's a real lesson in how, you know, not to be trapped by your ego. Jesus. And how are you, how are your adorable parents? I have to ask oh, about you, that. Thank you so it's much for hard. asking. Thank you so much for asking. They're, they're good. They're okay. They're, good. but they're very, you know, they're, my mom is really stubborn and independent and, you know, won't let my nieces go grocery shopping for her, which stresses me out really badly, yeah. you know, really, really badly. And also, you know, you're, you, we're bumping up against all these things, which is people's even mental health to exercise um, uh, their self-sufficiency, you mm -hmm. know, what it means for someone to not to be cooked up inside, you know, what it means you know, like how much, I'm not saying that my mom loves grocery shopping, but I actually do. I really do. I find it very, very soothing. I really like it. And, you know, it's very, very sparing and, and not a pleasant kind of easygoing experience anymore. But, um, you know, you're constantly having to battle it out with, you know, the people in your family and mostly you're battling your own anxiety. Yeah. On that note, you're amazing. Oh man, it's so glad to kind of like I see like see you and like <laughs> chill out in a way of like you know to have these chats with people. I know we're talking about our work and stuff like that, That's and I'm cool. really happy that the show's coming out earlier because it's like there is service in what we do. There is, you know what I mean, to to have people you know see familiar faces and familiar characters and like just check in and. And I feel like the need uh, to connect in a, in a deeper and even more honest way continues to grow. Well, Sandra, hopefully I'll see you in person. Yes. Sooner than later. Yeah, yes. Um, and just be well, stay safe. You too. That was Sandra O. Oh, Killing Eve airs on BBC America. Thanks for listening to this week's Big Ticket. Coming up next week, I catch up with Hugh Jackman to talk about his new film, Bad Education, as well as the hosts of HBO's new drag queen reality series, We're Here, Shangela, Eureka O'Hara, and Bob the Drag Queen. Until then, make sure to follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Mark Malkin, and check out Variety.com for all your Hollywood news. For now, stay safe, and I'll see you next week. Guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.